Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Our scripture passage this morning, it is definitely not going to be 2 Samuel 6. So if you would, grab your pew Bible, go to 1 Samuel chapter 29. I'll give you a moment to get there. 1 Samuel 29. We're going to start in verse 6. First Samuel 29, starting in verse 6. So Achish called David and said to him, As surely as the Lord lives, you have been reliable, and I would be pleased to have you serve with me in the army. From the day you came to me until now, I have found no fault in you. But the rulers don't approve of you, so turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistines. But what have I done, asked David? What have you found against your servant from the day I came to you until now? Why can't I go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Achish answered, I know that you've been as pleasing in my eyes as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the Philistine commanders have said, He must not go up with us into battle. Now get up early along with your master's servants who have come with you and leave in the morning as soon as it is light. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. If you would, stand with me as we sing. I want to invite you to pray with me before we get started. And if you're a child, you can church. Run. Run, Mason, run. Run. That's the best running he can do. Oh, my. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that your word would be anointed. I pray that your spirit would be present and that you speak to your people. We love you. Amen. I didn't expect to be here this morning in this context in front of you. I didn't have a massive amount of time to prepare. But I know that God's word holds power. I know that God's word speaks in every opportunity, every situation. And so I'm confident that his word has application for you. I want to ask that you don't read anything into my topic. It's really the topic of David that I reflected. If I were doing a sermon series on David, I would go here. Oddly enough, for weeks I had thought that, because this is a less than common passage about David. This is a challenging passage about David, and it makes us ask, what's going on, and how did David deal with that? So when we get to David, when we study David, we contemplate who he is as a character. He's almost larger than life. The, the ideas of who David was as a person are massive. I want you to recognize, realize, 3,000 years ago, this little kid takes some stones and a sling, slays a giant, and we get a phrase for the next 3,000 years when we say David and Goliath, and we all know who we're talking about. That's the larger-than-life David that we, we contemplate. We have this king 
that has this epic rise to ruling. And it's prophetic. It's larger than life the way this man comes to the stage. And it's huge to us. We have the flawed and tragic hero, David, where when he's in his kingship, he commits this black spot after black spot after black spot. And it leads to this moment where Nathan confronts him, points out his sin, and he writes Psalm 51. We have a toppled hero. David hits the end of his reign, and his son Absalom rises up against him, pursues him, intending on killing his own father and seizing the throne. And even in that moment, David maintains his integrity. God honors that. In David, we have a gold standard of kingship. Throughout the rest of the book of the Kings, you constantly hear time and time again whether or not a king walked in the path of his father, David. And even the Messiah eventually called the son of David. This character is absolutely larger than life and huge to us. We have so much material, and there's a reason we talk about David so much. There's chapter after chapter after chapter in every stage of his life. Earlier this month, uh, sorry, in May, we had the topic of friendship and focusing on David and Jonathan and how do we assess friendship. What do friends do and how do friends behave? David is such an example to us. In today's passage, we have a strange moment in time, and this is a little obscure. The passage that we're going to look at today with David, the obscurity is it's right at the end of Saul's reign and right before David's reign is about to begin. We've got this moment of time that nobody even knows is about to happen. There's no inclination, none whatsoever. And so the passage that I read today is a little strange in the timing. You've got to keep in mind that David was anointed more than a decade ago. 13, 14, 15, 16 years back. David, as a young boy, is anointed king over Israel. He serves under Saul, becomes a fast friend with Jonathan, but then he goes on the run. And for more than a dozen years, David has been on the run now. The moment we step into, David has been on the run for more than a dozen years. The interesting thing is this man is on the run, and we most times think of this like David hiding in the, ca uh, the, the cave with a couple guys. You realize that as he's on the run, his entourage grows from 400 to 600 men. By the time we get to the passage we're in today, he's leading 600 armed warriors. But he's lived in caves. He's lived in the wilderness. He's lived in the forest. He's had to flee for his life so many times, and Saul's pursuing him. At one point, interestingly enough, he ends up in the south down in Moab. And if you are a student at all of Old Testament, you should realize Moab's not the place for the king of Israel to be living. Interestingly enough, why is he in Moab? I believe it's because he has family ties there. He's got a grandmother named Ruth. Ruth came from Moab. That wonderful story in that book. Naomi comes back home and brings Ruth. Ruth marries Boaz. And David's in that family line. David goes back to Moab seeking shelter. The interesting thing is, Scripture tells us, David actually takes his family. He gets mom and dad and says, you got to get out of Dodge. Judah's not the place for you to be living right now because Saul's going to round you up and kill you also. And so at the point in time that David is down there, there's a prophet named Gad. Gad says, David, this is the wrong place for you to be. 
you are not supposed to be here. Leave this stronghold and go back to Judah. That's important. Think about that later in this sermon. The prophet tells David, go back to Judah. And David does. And he picks up more people, and he picks up more people, and he picks up more people. And eventually we get to this passage that says, David realizes one of these days, Saul's going to catch me. So David makes a choice. David says, I'm going to go live in, in Gath. Sorry. David goes and lives in Gath. Now, the interesting thing about Gath, that's Goliath's hometown. There's another interesting thing about Gath. That was right where I was heading, Ken. But the king, the king who's ruling in Gath, this is the very guy that David showed up before. And the king's like, I don't want him here. David pretends he's insane in order to make it through, and then he escapes. David's got a history with Gath. Not only is he leaving Judah, but he goes to Gath, the enemy territory. What does he do while he's in Gath? I think David is getting desperate. And looking at this passage and pondering, where's David in life? I think David is getting very desperate. Hope has been put on hold. For a dozen years, David's been looking towards the hope that he was promised by God. We look at the promises of God. We place hope in them. But when we don't feel like that's happening on our timetable, we feel despair. We want to give up. And it's difficult. So, we fast forward to the passage where we started today. Where we started today is not where I want to end up. Where we started today is the perplexing problem. David is in Gath leading 600 armed soldiers, and those soldiers have been sort of absorbed into the Philistine army. The Philistines are the enemy, and David's on enemy turf living in an enemy city named Ziklag. And here we find David at a crossroads, because now the Philistines are marching up to Jezreel. And the king, Achish, says, come on with me. And so David and his men get in the rear of the column. They get in the formation. They're marching to battle with the Philistines. All of the men with David are marching along with that. Now, I want to pause for a second and talk about who these men are. If you go to Samuel and Chronicles, you'll read about David's mighty men. David's mighty men are in the ranks. Interestingly enough, David's brothers are in the ranks. Ready? David's nephews are in the ranks. I frequently reflected on David's nephews. You'll recognize the names, Joab, Abishai, and Azahel. Remember those names? Yeah, to me, if I were David, that would be Jason and Kenny and John. <laughs> That's startling to me, and I want to drive that home for a reason. It wasn't just the group of guys. There's a lot of family members involved here. And they're following David. Why? Because he's the Lord's anointed. And they know it, and they're discontent with what's going on with Saul. But they end up in the Philistine city. They're living in Ziklag. They're doing their thing. And the war starts, and off they go. And they're marching to war with the enemy on the wrong side of the battle. I want you to try and think, what if I were in that army? What would I be thinking about my leader? How do I follow this guy? And so they get to, just before the battle, on their way, And we step into that passage because the other Philistine kings, there were five of them going to war together, five kings going up against Judah and Israel. 
and the other kings say, uh, no, this is not happening. This is not happening. We are not letting these Hebrews go into battle behind us. Who does that? As a matter of fact, they turn to Achish and say, isn't this the very guy that they sang the song about? Saul has killed his thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands. Yeah. And so, at the point we start reading, they kick him out of the battle. It's a strange moment. Because here's David, supposed to be the king, supposed to be the general, supposed to be going to war. He's on the wrong side of the war, and he doesn't see the fruition of God's plan. He doesn't see it coming. We can't see it coming. We don't have the mind of the Almighty. And yet, that hope deferred, it produces despair. We look forward in hope, and we don't get it sometimes. So there's this moment in chapter 29. And I would say this is the statement. Boys, go home. You all, go home. Achish says, go back. First thing in the morning, I want you all to leave. Get out of here. And they do. Now, the desperate moments in life can cause us to question things. And well, they should. So for three days, these guys get to turn around and walk home. The warriors, ready for battle, armed for battle, intent on going to war, turn around and walk home for three days. I want to focus on those three days. What have the questions gone through their minds? What's the deal? David, what are we doing here? David, you got us into this. David, you made these choices. I want to set in front of you this question. And I want you to ask this question in the hard moments of life. I've been chewing on this question for weeks now. What are we doing here? As I ponder the question, what are we doing here? I want to focus on the last three words. The we. We. We're hardly ever in a situation by ourselves. Sometimes that happens, but typically it's a we. And in the we, I want you to look around and go, who has God given me? The we. What are we doing here? Because you get in that circumstance, you're typically with someone. Doing. What are we doing here? What's the action? What's the activity? These guys are walking home, looking at each other, going, well, the we is we're family, brothers, nephews, fellow warriors. But what are we doing? First, we're going this way. Then we're going that way. You take us to Moab. You take us to the wilderness. We're hiding in the caves. We're running over the mountain. David, what are we doing here? And the men certainly don't see the plan either. And then the here, that location where you're asking the question. What are we doing here? David's on foreign ground. One could ask the question, should David have even been there in the first place? Let's go way back to this guy named Abraham. Abraham, go to a land that I will show you. This is where I want you to be. Abraham gets there. Things get tough. Abraham goes to Egypt. We don't have that command of Abraham, go to Egypt. Bad things ended up happening in Egypt. One could ask the question, David, go to Philistine area. Remember I said the prophet told him, leave Moab and go back to Judah. That was God's command. He ends up back in Judah. Things get tough. David's like, Gath is looking pretty good right now. 
David's placed himself in a position where the we doing here are not where God wanted him to be. And there's a whole lot of difficult going on in David's world. And on day three, the cork pops. I can picture this, although we're not given the geography. I can picture that as they're coming back to Ziklag, they come over the crest and they see the plume of smoke. Because if you don't know the story of Ziklag, this is when the balloon pops. They've been on the road now for six days because if it was three days back, it's three days up. They're gone for a week. And while they were gone, the Amalekites came in from the south and they took Ziklag. Now, if you know anything about the town and the army and what's going on, they left their whole family at home. All the wives and all the kids and all the supplies and life. This is the town. This is home base. They've been here for more than a year. This is home. And the army comes back to see a plume of smoke rising and the Amalekites had torched it. They burned it to the ground. Not only is it burned to the ground, but everybody's gone and everything is gone. I want you to go to chapter 30 with me. First Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to start in verse 1. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it. They had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength to weep. David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the daughter of Nabal of Carmel. There's a moment that we get to in our struggles. I've been wrestling with my own moment. Those of you that know me know I run a business. What you may not know is the last few months have been heading downhill in a strange way. In our moment, we question things. My moment has been, have I been presumptuous? Have I followed a route that I ought not to be? Have I placed myself in harm's way? Have I not been faithful? And the questions come and they pour and they eat at you and they gnaw at you and you end up on the couch at two in the morning because you can't sleep. But when we get in this situation, we have to ask some things. Have I placed myself in Philistine territory of my own making? Did I choose this? Did God lead me here? We ask the hard questions of life in the hardest moments. And the answers aren't easily coming. And so if I'm in a place of my own making, what do I do with that? What does God want me to do with that? How is God still at work in that? Our faith tells us God is at work in every moment. In our day-to-day life, in the dark days and the glorious days, God is at work in all of those. So I want to point out this moment because 
I spent a lot of time setting the stage that David's on the run. David's on the lamb. The king wants to kill him. He's hiding all these guys with him for years. But there's this turning point in David's moment here because not only does he come out of the frying pan, but he's right into the fire. I stopped before verse 6 because in chapter 30, verse 6, listen to the response of his 600 armed men that are with him. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Ouch. It wasn't just the men. It's Jason and Ken and John. That's those closest to him, his mighty men. I would probably say, including Uriah the Hittite. So there was a day that I was cutting firewood in the springtime. Let's say it's probably late April. This particular year, we were cutting some uh, treetops that had been taken out of a, a piece of property. Uh, a lot of available deadwood, really nice spot to cut. My son Nathan was probably nine, ten years old, something like that. That day, it was just Nathan and I. And as we're preparing to get things moving, there was a lot of brush in the way. It's before the... the Leaves were on anything, so nothing was really green yet. And there's a lot of dead treetops. So as I started cutting, I told Nathan, I want to get a fire moving and get the brush out of the way. Emphasis. It was not like it is right now. It was not that dry. It was actually muddy when I drove back in. But it was on this strange little crest next to a creek. It was well-drained, and it was dry. And I got that fire moving, and I told Nathan, tend the fire. Such a good kid. He got that fire moving. And I glanced out of the corner of my eye, and I'm like, oh, my. And the wind kicked up. And that wind spread faster than I could move. And I'm looking at the piece of property, and I'm looking at the knoll that I'm on. And I'm looking at my son, 9 or 10 years old, not understanding what's happening in front of him. He has no clue what's going on. And I'm scrambling. The saw goes off, it gets put down, and I'm like, get anything I can to start putting fire out. I think at first he thought I was joking. I think. When he finally realized, oh my, dad's in panic mode, he joined in. We got it under control. There's no firemen in the rest of the story, thankfully. But I want to point out how quickly things tip over. They hit that tipping point. And boy, ain't that like life. That tipping point, it's paused. And it's ready. And sometimes I ponder, how many moments away from everything coming undone am I? How close am I to that tipping point? David comes back with 600 guys. They've been walking for six days. All of them ready to fight. They come back to their homes burned to the ground, their wives and children gone, and one guy to blame. And they go to, we're going to stone him. That's the conclusion. We're going to stone him. So just when you think things can't get any lower, there's always that depth. And there's always more. And then the end of verse 6 happens. It says, but David found strength in the Lord his God. <laughs> David found strength in the Lord his God. How does one do that? How does one do that? 
We stand on the precipice of disaster and we ask, how does one do that? Someone suggested, I don't put stock in this, but I don't have a problem if it was either, that Psalm 61 is coming on the heels of Ziklag. And I go, well, if it didn't, it was on a day not too dissimilar. David says in Psalm 61, Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I'm going to pause right there. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. That implies a couple things. First off, that rock, he knows it's there. You don't make that statement if you don't know that that rock is there. That rock is there. That rock is Christ. It is found in our faith. Christ leads us to the Father, and he is that rock. In Matthew, he says, be wise, build on that rock. Secondly, David can't see that rock. That rock's awfully distant. That rock's hard to find. He knows he wants to get there. He knows it's there, but he needs guidance. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. So increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then I will sing praise to your name and fulfill my vows day after day. So David looks to the rock that is higher than him. And what is the very next thing he does? He prays. It's interesting that he didn't first find the strength from his prayer. He found strength in God first, and then he prayed. The last thing I see David doing in this passage is choosing his response. He chooses to turn to God. He chooses that rock. Then he inquires of the Lord. I want to read an observation. It was so well worded. I couldn't see any sense in just not reading it. This is from J. Vernon McGee. Friend, there are times in our lives when the circumstances will not produce any joy or happiness. There are times when we find ourselves in dark places like David. We look about and the situation looks hopeless. So what should we do? Should we be discouraged? Should we give up? Should we say that we're through? Friend, if we are children of God, we will encourage ourselves in the Lord. We will turn to Him at times like these. Sometimes the Lord puts us in such a spot so we will turn to Him. He wants to make Himself real to us. It was during times like these that David wrote some of his most helpful psalms. 
when troubles come, you can't thumb your way through the Psalms and find where David is encouraging himself in the Lord. But several times he says, the Lord is good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And David found this to be true. So one final thing that happens in this passage as we wrap up. David calls to the priest, I think his name was Abiathar. He says, bring the ephod. Now, that was a method that they used for discerning what God's leading was. I would flippantly say, they got out the holy coin and flipped it. <laughs> the Urim and the Thummim. It was a yes-no response. David prayed, he sought the Lord, he went after a response, and then they, I flippantly say it, flipped a coin. The interesting thing is that, or he did in an amazing way, but so I'm going to put this in context. If you took a coin and put yes and no on two different sides, that's the method that's going on. And he says, should we pursue them? The interesting thing is, when the conclusion comes out, David concludes that God says we're not going to lose a single person. That wasn't part of the yes or no polar dichotomy. Like, I don't see that third option, dude. I would challenge you that in that, it's his faith that is stepping in and says, if God says yes, we not only win, we win it all. And the hopefulness at the end of that is, is David goes on to pursue. They recover every wife, every child, every servant, every bit of belongings, and the plunder from the enemy. Interestingly enough, while all of this is going on, I feel like Bonanza. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, remember that battle that they got told to leave? Same time that Saul's being killed. One king is being replaced and another king is being risen up. And David takes that plunder and he separates some of it and he sends it to leaders in Judah and in Simeon, paving the way for him to be coronated. And he recognizes and states, this is from the hand of God. An amazing moment that comes out of the ashes of Ziklag. Ashes. Out of the ashes we rise. I hold and cling to God's faithfulness. I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters. As we get older and wiser, we realize nobody has answers. But the Lord does. In whatever capacity He chooses to share those answers, in whatever capacity you can encourage one another in your faith, do so. It'll be a hard week. But I pray out of the ashes that you would see God's glory being risen up yet again. The faithfulness that he exhibits to his people. And the fact that he'll continue to work. If you would, let's pray. Lord, be our rock. Be our redeemer. And Father, lead us to the rock that is higher than us. You are good, Lord. May your name be praised forever. 
Amen.